We are back. We've been speaking with Stephen Harper about the untold story of Russiagate, of which there's there's quite a bit that's, I, I think, fair to say untold by at least uh, most of the media. Uh, our guest here has been an exception to that and has followed very closely what's going on and therefore is someone we need to, to, to delve deeper with. So, Stephen, I want to ask about the fact, well, Paul Manafort was allied with Russians who were allied with the Ukrainians who were pro-Russian. And something gets lost in the, shuff- in the shuffle here that, that was sort of uh, revisited in this article in some depth was the fact that there was a battle for supremacy in Ukraine between someone who wanted to go more to, to the European Union and perhaps NATO um, and, and someone who was very much uh, the candidate of, of Vladimir Putin. And, and we should name this Viktor Yuchenko and uh, Viktor Yanukovych. Yuchenko was a guy that wanted to go uh, to the West, and Yanukovych was a guy who was allied with Putin. During the middle of all of this, I heard some people trying to claim that, well, you know, there was this big intelligence-backed coup, and we, we threw out the Russians, and, and that was part of the problem in the Ukraine. And that, that's, just, that, that's just not the case. Nope, not at all. Nope. And the interesting thing, too, is Yanukovych, Manafort's and Kalimnik's client. Yes. So Man- Manafort was yes. brought in to, to clean the guy up, to clean up his image, make him more presentable, make him, a, make him more a pro-West in the way he sounded. Wear nicer suits. <laughs> exactly. Get, get a better haircut. You know, difference. All, all, the, you know, all the things that Manafort did. <laughs> maybe, maybe he could lend them Manafort's stylist. I don't know. And then, of course, then what happened was ultimately Yanukovych gets turned out of office by essentially a revolution, and his excesses and corruption and everything else comes to life. Among other things, the guy has his own private zoo uh, on this opulent, you know, mansion that he had built for himself, and and off he goes, you know, escaping to to Mother Russia. Manafort and Kalimnik live to fight another day, and and you know, it's the the other thing that people sometimes don't really think about or focus on is that when Manafort in early 2016 went to work for Trump, he was desperate for that job. He was in, he was in trouble. He was in deep debt. Okay. So here's a guy who's got no money. He's in deep debt. He's, he's struggling at every level, right? He's willing to work for Trump for nothing, for nothing. Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what's he got to sell, you know? And, and, and so what, not surprisingly, he winds up meeting with Kalimnik in the middle of the campaign. Kalimnik, who's still working out of Ukraine, but flies into New York. So they all get together at the Grand Havana uh, Cigar Club in, in New York. And, and, you know, away we go. And you, and you read the Mueller report, and, and, and Manafort is providing sensitive information about uh, the Trump campaign polling, in, you know, stuff. And you think it doesn't somehow get back to Russia and make its way into social media that targets those particular places that are, you know, of, of special sensitive uh, election interest to Trump? Of course it does, I would think. And so it's, it, and so that's all, again, you're into the, you can see how this stuff all ties together, right? And Manafort becomes kind of a, a theme that runs through, and it, and it comes through clearly in Rutenberg's article as well, you know, the the theme that relates to the Ukraine peace plan, helping Trump win, the kinds of things that Putin specifically approved and directed to help Trump win that election, 
you know, and it was all supposed to come to fruition under a Trump administration. And all you can imagine, it, 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 it makes me, it makes, it gives me shivers to think about it. But just imagine if what will be happening in Ukraine right now and what will be happening between Trump and Putin if Trump had managed to win the election in 2020. You, you summarized the punchline to the article, the thrust of which is that there is a war going on in Ukraine right now because Joe Biden is president and Putin had no way of achieving his goals of gaining territory in eastern Ukraine under Biden, whereas under Trump he was making steady gains. That's right. And not only that, Putin is losing. He's losing at every level of the, of the fight. He's losing on land. He's losing in the battles. He's, he's just retreating now from Kherson. He's got the, his own public uh, generals and advisors to some degree turning on him. He is in deep, deep trouble. And it's because of Joe Biden. And, you know, Biden, Biden always sold himself, as, and, and properly so, as somebody who was really steeped in and whose expertise was foreign policy. He chaired the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for for a long time. Yeah. Um, and boy, it shows. You you know, there's no way that, and, he, and he's, he's perfectly happy not to take credit for it, but you and I both know that it, but for Biden's personal ability to pull it off, and those of his advisors, including uh, Blinken, uh, Secretary of State, and others, uh, the, the coalition that is held together for as long as it has in the West against uh, Russia and Ukraine would not have existed. And Putin is in, in very real danger of of actually a flat-out loss of that war, and uh, the Ukrainians aren't giving up. I hope he can find a position in exile in Mar-a-Lago. That might work out. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, yeah, the question is, you know, where does Trump go if he needs a, to exile? You know, if, uh, if Putin was his uh, escape branch, I guess, I, guess, uh, I guess Saudi Arabia. We don't have an extradition treaty with them, I think. You know, I, I do. I cannot resist throwing something out in this in this narrative, which has not come up in the New York Times Magazine article, but that in this battle that took place between uh, Yushchenko and 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 Yanukovych, Yushchenko had something very unusual happen to him, which was he received an incredibly massive overdose of dioxin, which by rights should have killed him, but did not do so. And if there's anybody out there that seems to have quite a recurrent habit of poisoning uh, people he doesn't like, that would be Vladimir Putin. I think it was characterized as, assass- as an assassination attempt, which is exactly right. And, and, and it was botched, of course. And ironically, that it, it didn't help. Let's put it this way. It didn't help Manafort's client. Uh, it certainly did not help Manafort's client, um, who, who ultimately wound up losing anyway. Yeah, poisoning your opponent's a hard one to kind of paper over. Yeah, well, I wasn't in town that day. I mean, I don't know. What's your defense? It's a through line. It goes all the way through, and it's not over. And the biggest mistake that anybody could make, including Democrats who are, I guess you could say, uh, taking a victory lap, I wouldn't get too far ahead of myself on that one, um, because this is this is this is maybe the third or fourth inning of a. Yeah. of a of a long game maybe it might be a double header it might be a double header and and people make a mistake people make a mistake to count trump out as much as i would like to count him out um it, it's also a problem you're not gonna be able to count out what what biden has properly labeled the maga republican it's not just a trump problem anymore you know it's 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 deeper but although i give you this as sort of some historical context i maybe have given you this number before but over 25 percent 
of Republicans, and they may have been all voters, uh, 25% still approved of Nixon when he waved goodbye uh, and got on the helicopter after he resigned. Yeah. So to paraphrase the, the biblical in, uh, ter- uh, verse, you will always you will always have with you. There's that core that is always going to be out there. But what everyone else has to do, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or an independent or what I would call a, a thinking Republican concerned about democracy, you have to be vigilant every moment. You, you just have to be vigilant about what's happening. And it's very difficult when there's so much else uh, going on and you're worried about other things. For a certain subset of the population, I think it's just fair to say that uh, the, the rule applies. The facts are interesting, but, but irrelevant. Right, right. My mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Yep, that's a real problem. But it does seem that at least to some degree, and I, and I got to give some credit to, to younger voters on this. You know, younger voters, it looks like, we don't have all the data yet, but it looks like younger voters came out in a, in a big way that help, helped the Democrats uh, resist this, this non-existent wave um, that never materialized. And then the Democrat leadership generally would do well to continue to pay attention. It's going to be their country anyway. You know, it's not going to be the country of 80-year-old Mitch McConnell or uh, 82-year-old Nancy Pelosi, although I do think she's a genius at what she's done. And when people look back on her record as Speaker of the House over the both the Obama years and the Biden years, her record of a legislative accomplishment for which those presidents can take credit, and with the relatively thin margins that she had to work with, it's a very, very long and impressive list. Never give up. Okay. Well, we have some cause for optimism and looking at, uh, I guess you'd say, the executive branch, looking at Congress. But then we have the matter of the third branch of government, the judiciary. And and right now, uh, arguments are being heard in this session of for the Supreme Court that we're going to have to have you come back and, and have some comments on. We're going to bring Michael Trackman, uh, expert on Supreme Court decisions, to discuss that. I hope you will, too, because the grave concern, I think, at this point is the possibility of the so-called independent state legislature crackpot idea that you've talked about before, uh, getting through and and then allowing states to, borderline states, to have, uh, have the legislature step in and say, no, okay, I know that, you know, Biden may have won, but we're not going to send electors to Washington to vote for him. Yeah, phony phony fraud claims that got nowhere this time around all of a sudden have a new have a new potential forum in state legislatures, uh, which are right. not bound by rules. They're not bound by rules of evidence and the other kinds of things that that are that are important to make sure that the results of of court decisions are correct. Um, no, it's a it's important for sure. And if the Supreme Court grants this piece of lunacy, you know, it's, it's imprimatur of, you know, that's correct, that's the correct interpretation of the Constitution, they're not allowing for any challenges to it. It becomes really difficult. It becomes a, it becomes a very difficult problem. Even the, even the conservative former judge Luddig, who was the guy who testified January 6th, even he came out very strongly on the absence of legal, constitutional, historical, or any other support for the proposition. The problem, of course, is that what we learned with with Judge Alito and the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade is that historical truth, historical fact, doesn't get in the way of whatever he's decided he wants to do. If he and Clarence Thomas and they can convince three others to go along, I don't know where the two of them will come out on this, but but uh, one has to one has to hope that it, that it dies. Yeah, I was going to say there was a very very I can't remember even all the names, but there was a very impressive 
friend of the court brief that was submitted by um, prominent uh, prominent uh, players of both parties uh, across the political spectrum in opposition to uh, submitted to the Supreme Court in opposition to the independent state legislature theory. It would be bonkers. Think about this one: if the if the elections are not even close, and you get to a point where the margins are so big. Then it becomes then then changing the result actually becomes a political constraint on particular state legislatures. But the rule shouldn't be you have to win by ten to win. The rule should be you you have to win by one, not not ten or ten million or ten thousand. It's not the margin; it's the it's the result. Which is the only other thing I would say about and to your point, which is exactly right, which is where we started on on this in this conversation, which is that you know don't take all that much comfort in the fact that there was no red wave right. as such. Because even where the Democrats were able to pull the thing off and manage to come out, the margins, for the most part, have not been very large. So it's a, we're, we're on a we're on a we're on a tightrope. We're on a we're on a tenuous spot still. When can we expect that decision from the court about the the state legislatures? I don't know. You know they they can do it. They can do it whatever they want. They could hold it till the last day of the term. Um, Which is could, what June would be uh end of the summer yeah oh wow uh, yeah or i guess it's before they take their summer break when is that yeah june i guess it would be june okay i would think that would be pretty pretty late but the, some of the some of the biggest cases they they hold till the very last day of uh you know to release them so this could be one of those stephen harper always a pleasure your analysis is always insightful and uh please come back again uh soon and and give us some more of it Sure will. Anytime. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. All righty. All right, let's take a short detour out of, uh, out of serious matters and lighten up things. Let's start with a, uh, a meme that's being sent around quoting the late Johnny Carson. Said the former king of late night, Thanksgiving is an emotional holiday. People travel thousands of miles to be with people they only see once a year. And then discover once a year is way too often. I think from there we'll jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the current edition of The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for fantasies. After a struggling scuba diver off the coast of California, that's how they're describing it, a struggling scuba diver, was rescued by a group of women divers who dress as mermaids, complete with tails. Said the saved diver Javier Claremont, it was something out of a fairy tale, being saved by a mermaid. Radio Parallax has some skepticism about this particular news story. Now, it so happens that uh, Ms. Merlin has quite a bit of experience with scuba diving, and he confirms that this actually is a legitimate story. To the best of my knowledge. All right, and I guess apparently there, there's a Patty Mermaid certification process that goes on? That's what the article said. Wow. Well, given your experience, have you ever thought applying for the merman position? I have thought about it, but unfortunately there are no uh, certifications. For that, it's mermaids only. I see. So if you want to be a merman, it's all it's all unofficial. Unless I change gender. Okay. 
And on the other hand, it was a bad week last week for marketing, at least <laughs> review of the serum product, a line of skin hair products from actor Brad Pitt called Le Domaine. The reviewer in the New York Post, Brian Face, said that for its $385 price tag, Brad Pitt should come to your house and apply it to your face. Well, maybe so. And it was an ugly week last week for the homeless situation with the news that reportedly fully half of the fires in Portland, Oregon now originate in homeless camps. Firefighters dealt with more than 2,000 such fires last year and still average about six a day. Captain Mike McGowan said, we don't mind going on dangerous calls. We're here to do that, but it's fatiguing to go on the same type of call over and over with no end in sight. And we'd have to say it was both a bad idea and an ugly piece of marketing to note that a Missouri company is now selling bulletproof furniture for schools. Reportedly, a Paul Alexander, founder of Executive Wood Products, says the firm's custom-made lecterns contain steel interiors that can serve as shields against rounds from handguns, AR-15s, and even machine guns. Said Alexander, I want the active shooter to think he can shoot through them because that's what saves lives. We Radio Parallax do not think that the best way to save lives is have the active shooter think he can shoot through the furniture. But that's just us. We tend to think some ounces of prevention could probably be worth some pounds of cure. But, uh, oh well. From the In Other News section, we have this. The Justice Department is considering appointing a special prosecutor to oversee two probes related to former President Trump. At least that's what CNN reported this week. If Trump announces a presidential bid for 2024, by the time this is being aired, that may have already happened, a special prosecutor in the investigations, one tied to the 2020 elections and another on government documents kept at Mar-a-Lago, will evidently put distance between the DOJ and these criminal cases to lessen the appearance of a partisan agenda. Yeah, you sure hate to see it when these special prosecutor offices uh, get involved in politics. You know, it's just unfortunate. CNN is reporting that indictments of Trump associates may be imminent in both cases. Now, last March, Attorney General Merrick Garland said the department would not avoid, quote, cases that are controversial or sensitive or political, end quote. Of course, we'd point out that he said that in March, and it's now November. And we would note that even if they do convene a special prosecutor's office to look into this, the decision to charge Trump will still rest with Merrick Garland. We'll have to see what happens. All right, in the few minutes we have left, we want to briefly do an obituary, in this case, that of Angela Lansbury. Star on Broadway, star on Hollywood, and star on television. That's hard to do. She won something like five Tony Awards for her work on Broadway. (laughs) Her television program, Murder, She Wrote, was also a huge hit. Drew something like 25 million viewers per episode and earned her 12 straight Emmy nominations, although no wins. My favorite role for Angela Lansbury was that of the demonic mother in 1962's The Manchurian Candidate. It's a fascinating movie, and uh, it's a creepy movie, and Angela Lansbury is part of the creepiness. If you've never seen it, we recommend uh, that you do so at some point. And uh, yeah, you can skip the modern remake of it. That, That one belongs... 
then I'm forgetting the fact that she auditioned at age 17 for a role in the movie Gaslight and uh, made it and earned herself a seven-year contract at MGM. Quite the actress. And uh, we're not sure whether he was acting or, or telling it like it was, but we do want to note that the Russian billionaire Yevgeny Prigozhin boasted before the election that Russian agents have interfered and are interfering and will interfere in U.S. elections. Prigozhin is founder of the Wagner Group, which is kind of Russia's answer to America's Blackwater mercenary organization, responding to a request for comment on a Bloomberg report saying that Russia was using far-right social media to smear Democrats ahead of the midterms. Prigozhin was one of several Russians indicted in 2018 as part of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. He was charged then with operating a covert social media campaign to influence U.S. votes. But wouldn't you know it, the Trump administration dropped the case. Analysts said that Prigozhin's admission last week was an effort to subvert U.S. democracy by undermining confidence in the vote. Well, that's certainly true, but if what he was saying was true, then, uh, well, there may be some cause for undermining our confidence in the vote. And we do have to report, sadly, as follow-up to our discussion with Greg Palace several weeks back, that uh, Brian Kemp, despite uh, Greg's efforts to uh, show him an unfavorable light in his documentary, were not sufficient to keep him from getting reelected as the governor of Georgia. Stacey Abrams went down to defeat yet again. Oh, and Brad Raffensperger also won as uh, Georgia's supposedly heroic Secretary of State manning the elections. As reported by Greg Palast on this program, Mr. Raffensperger actually has a stellar record at suppressing black votes down in Georgia, but that's something we'll let go today. And speaking of elections and money, the legendary Assembly Speaker Jesse Unruh once said that money was the mother's milk of politics. And in the midterm elections, and that certainly seems to apply to our last round of elections. Proposition 27, the one uh, on expanding um, gambling interests in the state of California, went down to defeat in a big way. It only got 17% yes when the ballots were counted. Apparently the gambling interests that were trying to put this over spent something like $150 per yay vote. And I don't know what's going on with this expansion of gambling all across the country, but it's very depressing to listen to KGO Radio, which has now become a station entirely dedicated to sports gambling. And we'd love to say a few things about that, but unfortunately it appears we are out of time. This program, like all of them, was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett, and you've been listening to Radio Parallax. Our thanks to uh, Stephen Harper for enlightening us with his insights yet again. We'll see you next week. From the dusty mesa, her looming shadow grows, hidden in the branches of the poison creosote. Bye.